I forgot to mention when I taught two weeks ago that on the back side of your notes page, I had given you some extra verses. And those verses were there to show how God's love is woven throughout the whole seamless story of God's word. And so you can look those up on your own when you have a chance. Sorry. <laughs> you probably long forgot what happened two weeks ago. But um, the other thing that I want to mention as well is if you have not seen this Jesus Storybook Bible, you need to get, get yourself one. If you're a mama, you need to be reading this to your kiddos. I don't care how old they are. If you're a grandma, the same. Any, any child that you know, I give this as a baby gifts. Um, and I just, there are, yeah, there are just a hint. There are a few stories in here based on the scripture that we read this week. And they are written more beautifully and said just so perfectly. So just a little teaser. Get it and, and, and read through it. So review, that's how we're going to begin today. If you sneak in to look at page 9 in your guide, you will find the five symbols that we've begun with, right? Can you say them with me? Creation, man and woman, flood, no, fall, flood, tower of Babel, right? And so today we get a new one. It's the call of Abraham. Yes, I was a cheerleader many, many moons ago. Okay, but <laughs> the call of Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as we're going through this, we're flying through chapters 12 to 22 or 21 in our, in our study this week. Um, be reminded that the call of Ab Abraham is a call of grace. Okay? It's a call of grace. Have you ever seen the TV show that's called, Who Do You Think You Are? It's this sweet show where they bring in famous people, celebrities, and they join them up with researchers, and I don't know, do you call them genealogist people, <laughs> that will help them to uncover their family tree. And it, it's quite interesting, it's fun to see how people can learn just the joys and sorrows in their family history and find how maybe their um, character qualities that they have, they see it in their ancestry. And as Julie reminded us last week, when we open our Bibles, because we are ones who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we've been adopted into God's family. So th these these passages that we're reading, this is our family history. And so we find, hmm, as we're looking, we're, we're always looking to see who is our God and then who are we in him? Who, do we remember who we really are, who he says that we are? So as we review, here are a few highlights from Genesis 1, chapters 1 to 11. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the introduction to the whole Bible. It's a theological narrative. So we know that God is the main character. And it's here we learn about him, the beginning of humanity, the problem of sin, and God's solution. His plan to return things to the way they were meant to be. And so I love when we open our Bibles and we're reading by the book, okay? Because each book, when you read them, 
they uniquely contribute to this picture of who God is, right? So we find in Genesis 1 to 11, it's the universal history. And where we see that despite God's good purposes for creation, sin enters and fills the earth. And so a few key verses from that section. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 is the creation mandate. It's those from the familiar phrase where you find that God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so whenever you see those verses, it's this reminder that all who are made in God's image, that's you and me, not just Adam and Eve, that we're to be filling the earth with his image, reflecting him wherever we go. We see God's mercy at the fall when God so beautifully clothes Adam and Eve, allows them to live and to continue to carry on, to bear children, even though there will now be hardships. And then Genesis 3.15, one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. I'm going to teach you a fancy word for it. Proto, can you say that? Proto-evangelion. It means first gospel. This is the first time in Scripture where the good news is, is foretold. God promises here that the seed or the offspring of Eve will one day defeat the serpent. And so the whole rest of the book of Genesis, as we look at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, we see God's prom progress in fulfilling this promise. And so even though we do, we're so tempted when we see all the genealogies to skip over them, Remember, whenever you see this phrase, these are the generations of, in the book of Genesis, that word generations in the original Hebrew is toledah. Can you say that? Toledah. That is given there, that phrase. These are the generations of, to remind us that God has a plan and he's working through every single person in the promised family line to bring his blessing of salvation to the world. And even in the other family lines that are mentioned, it's to remind us that God is sovereign and he's at work and he has a desire to bless all people. And then one of my favorite parts in chapters 1 to 11 is the rainbow promise, the covenant given to Noah in chapter 9, verse 11. God says, never again shall there be a flood to destroy all the earth. And the sign that I am giving of this covenant promise is the rainbow. And we see shortly afterwards that God shows mercy at the Tower of Babel. And he has continued to show mercy and kept this rainbow promise to this day. Whenever you see a rainbow, may it remind you of this covenant promise. And may it remind you of who God is. He is sovereign and he is holy, but he is oh so merciful. So in chapters 1 to 11, we see that in the midst of the downward spiral of sin in the world, God has a plan and he is working out his plan to restore people to himself. And so then today we see 
in, as we look to Genesis 12, and you can open your Bibles there if you'd like, God's solution. It's the covenant of grace. In chapters 12 through 50, the whole next part of the book of Genesis, we see this family history, this patriarchal history, and it reveals God as the covenant maker, that he, his plan to restore the world is through Abraham's family line. God promises to bless Abraham's family in order to bless the world. So we covered the highlights in chapters 12 to 22. And in chapters 12 to 17, you find that this more details of this covenant plan are unfolding. Throughout the next 25 years, 25 long years when Abraham and Sarah are waiting for this promised son, God continues to speak to Abraham and to remind him of his covenant promises. I believe that in those chapters, God speaks and reiterates and expands upon his covenant plan eight different times. And I think, oh, I'm just like Abraham and Sarah. I need to hear it again and again and again. I love that we have a God who reveals himself and continues to speak to his people. So in Genesis 12, in verses 1 to 3, we see the call, right? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I want to give you a little background here because we have to know that every time we open God's word, it was not written to us. It was written for us, okay? So when we're reading in Genesis, this is taking place in a completely different time and historical and cultural and religious setting, right? So just to help us understand what it was like in Abraham's day. Now, in our culture, individualism is the rule of the day. And we are often identified by what we do. In Abraham's time, in that culture, they were group-oriented, okay? So your identity was found in your family and in your clan. Now, we all know if, if you've ever moved before, it's really, really hard to start over, right? It's really hard. But when God asks Abram, to leave his country, his family, his kindred. He is leaving not only his land and his family and his inheritance, his history. It's his whole identity. He's leaving everything behind that would have given him security in that day. We find here that God promises Abram land, descendants, 
a special covenant relationship and to bless the whole world through him and his family line. So some other things to notice. Religion in this time. In the ancient Near Eastern world, polytheism was, was the way things were. There, there were many, many gods that were worshipped. And these gods were unable to be known. And they were capricious. The people were always trying to somehow earn the favor of the gods and trying to avoid their, their curses. And they thought they had to, to continually meet the needs of the gods, that people were designed to meet their, the needs of the gods. But it was all a ministry, mystery because the gods were just man-made images, or maybe they were parts of creation that they worshipped. There were no instructions because their gods were gods with a small g, right? They couldn't speak. They weren't living. They were myths. So in that setting, God, the living God, the creator of all, appears and speaks to Abram and reveals his instructions. This was totally something completely new. And at the Tower of Babel, we find that the people were trying to make them, their names great. But here, when God speaks to Abram, he says, I will make your name great. And there's a so that, so that you will be a blessing. Also, the gods in this time were worshipped in very specific locations. Okay? When God makes this promise of land, and Abram goes to that land, and then we find him periodically making altars there. It's as if he's putting a stake in the ground and saying, the Lord, in all caps, my God is the one who's to be worshipped here. And you see, it's the expansion of Eden, right? Where God could meet with his people. And they could, they could be his and be with him. Today, people often wonder if God even exists. But back in this time, they just wondered which God was greatest. And so the Lord, the creator, the covenant-making God is breaking into time and making it very clear who is the greatest. He is sovereign and holy and merciful, but he wants to be known. He reveals himself, and he longs to be with the people that he made and loves. And so as I mentioned, these covenant promises are repeated and expanded. If you flip over to Genesis 13, verses 14 to 16. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And then he says in verse 17, Arise, 
Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Pretty amazing. Abram, look in every direction as far as your eye can see. I'm giving this land to you. Walk in it. Claim it <laughs> that this is the land of the true and living God. And then your descendants are going to be innumerable. Can you count the dust? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's like the Lord is saying, you have absolute, you can't even comprehend all that I have planned for you. And then if you flip over to Genesis 15, the chapter that you read through in your study this week, where we have this kind of weird ceremony, right, that takes place that you learned about. In verse 1, once again, the Lord speaks to Abram, this time in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And at this point, Abram complains because he says, you know, you promised me a son, and all I've got right now is a servant. That, and he's going to, if I were to die today, he would get my inheritance. And then the Lord goes on to say, in verse 4, This man, this servant, shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And this is probably one of the most famous verses about Abraham here, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So, if you, as you read in that, the rest of that chapter, we have this ceremony, right, where the animals are cut in half, and God's presence moves through those sacrificed animals. And this would have been a familiar thing back in this time, right? When we make laws or agreements, we just sign our names on a paper today, okay? But this would have been something that they was well understood in this culture. This is an ancient Near Eastern suzerain vassal treaty. This covenant establishes a special relationship. God is saying, I will be your God. I will protect you. And you are to be loyal to me. And so as you learned in your study, God alone passes through the animal pieces. And it's as if he's saying, what has happened to these animals will happen to me if I fail to keep these covenant promises. And then, is it not so amazing that here, hundreds of years before, God foretells of Abraham's descendants that will be afflicted and experience slavery in Egypt and that they will come out with great possessions. Yeah, freeze frame, I just think, do we need to go about our days remembering 
that our God is Lord, not over just the minutes and hours of this day, but over years and centuries that he knows and he's got a plan and he's working it out. It's just a lot of times we don't understand his timing and we don't get to see exactly what he's up to. But oh, would we trust him more? Now I have to tell you that on Saturday mornings I try to get to a step class at the gym. And there's this one move that, all, that kind of reminds me of some of the passages that we've been studying. And it goes like this. You go up on your step and you go like that and you make a star. Called the rainbow star the rainbow star and i think we have we have a god our god is the god of the rainbow star he is the god of mercy that we see every time we see a rainbow and he's a god who makes amazing promises and keeps them when we think of the stars we think of this scene with abram A question for you here and mind you I throw out some questions at times and I don't want you to feel pressured like you have to be working through every single one of them but I do pray that maybe there'll be one question of the day that the Lord might hit something in your heart and maybe you'll take some time to be praying through that and talking with him about it as as you head from here in the coming week so I love these scenes of Abram and God gives him very visual pictures of his promises, that he could walk that land. Every time he walked, he could think, oh, God has promised me my descendants are going to be more numerous than this dust that I'm walking on. Or every time he was out at night, that he could look at the stars and, and remember these promises. And so I guess my challenge to you is, we're in a different era, right? And the promises that we've been given are through Christ, right? That we have, we've we are at peace with God. We've been forgiven. We are part of God's family. We're his dearly loved daughters. Are there some reminders that we need to be putting out into our lives? Some visuals that can help us to remember what kind of a God we have and who we are in him. Okay, our faithful God. Throughout these passages, we see that God continues to remain with his covenant people. And he we see how he cares for Abraham and Sarah and Lot and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. And he will continue to. God took care of Lot even when he made pretty poor choices. When Abraham and Sarah made their own plans... For instance, in chapter 12 and in chapter 20, two times, mind you, two times, Abraham does not protect Sarah. And he does not trust God to be present and to protect him. God intervenes both times and, and protects Sarah and Abraham as well. And then when Abraham and Sarah mistreat Hagar, God once again... He's there, and he sees and cares for Hagar and Ishmael, too. He is faithful. Throughout Genesis, we find many different names for God. He's Elohim, the creator. He's called the God Most High, the everlasting God. But one of the names for God that I want you to remember that we find in Genesis 
is that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I would call this the name of mercy. Were God's people always faithful to him? No, they were not. And so would we remember, as we look at the messy lives of this family, they weren't perfect, they didn't always get it right, that we still have this same kind of God, the God who is involved in our real lives, our messy lives. He is the God who comes near. He is not just a sovereign God who's high and lifted up over the universe and all that he's made, but he is the God of families. And he knows each one of us by name. And he is present and faithful and working even when we don't get it right. Now, I'm in a stage of life where I'm blessed to be living close to my parents. And as they're getting older, I cherish the time that I can spend with them. And as we do, I love trying to ask them stories from the past, from our family history, stories of God's faithfulness. And I know it brings them joy to get to share those stories. And I try to get them to tell the stories to my kids. And I think that we all have situations in our own lives where we don't get it right. Or times when we're really waiting on God. We know he's faithful, but in this situation, maybe we're waiting for a job. Maybe we're waiting on God to work in a loved one who's struggling with mental illness or cancer or who's struggling to know who they really are and who God created them to be. And in the midst of this, will we, how will we cling to our faithful God? And last but not least, Abraham, the father of our faith. Abraham is over and over in scripture commended for his faith. And it's displayed through his obedience. He takes God at his word even when he can't see what God is up to. So in Genesis 12, 4, at that first call, Abraham left. He went. And he was going, we find in Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10, that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. He was supposed to move, but there was no... <laughs> No home sale or, you know, set <laughs> in Canaan, okay? And then when there's this call for Abraham to really respond to God's covenant promises through this command for circumcision, we find immediately that day Abraham and every single male in the household was circumcised at God's request. 
what I want you to see, whenever you read about Abraham's great faith, know that it's God's grace and his lavish promises that inspired that faith and obedience. And it wasn't that Abraham had faith first, and that's why God chose him. The covenant was all by grace. We do see, as I mentioned before, that, that Abraham doesn't always get it right. His faith is not perfect, but it does grow. As Abraham and Sarah are waiting 25 years for their promised son to be born, they do sometimes devise their own plans. And we see the, the mood of, the, of this narrative alternating between hope and, and great disappointment. But over time, we do see the growth of Abraham. Even though he's often stumbling along, yet he continues to walk with his faithful God. And you read about how Abraham was tested in Genesis 22 when he was asked by God to offer his only son, Isaac. By this time, Abraham had been walking with God for a good long time. And he had come to know his God. And he was believing in the promises that he'd given. And he believed, as it's told to us in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, that God would raise Isaac back to life. And as you found in your study, spoiler alert, right? This momentous scene foreshadows the fulfillment of that first gospel promise that was given in Genesis 3, that the most beloved son of all, Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Eve, would conquer sin and death, would offer his life and make a way for sinful people to be restored to life with God. And so today, as we finish up here, I want to remember you to remember who you are. In Romans 4, 16 to 23, which you can look up on your own because <laughs> it's a beautiful passage. And in Galatians 3, 7 to 9, we see it oh so clearly that those who trust in Jesus Christ have been adopted into this family line. And so we can know that we are daughters of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Understand then that those who believe in Jesus, this means, are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Those are non-Jews. That means you and me. By faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that Father Abraham camp song gets it right. Do you remember the last few lines, right? Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and so are you, right? So let's just praise the Lord, okay? We're not sons, we're daughters, but we get it, okay? So I conclude with this question. As we're getting to know God more through our reading of Genesis, do you remember who you are in him? I would say that you are God's image bearer that you're to reflect him in this world, wherever you go. You are a daughter of Abraham. And Lord, we pray that as daughters of Abraham, 
that we would be ones who walk with him by faith. And that we would be ones who are blessed, not just so life can be good for us, blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Have a great morning, ladies.